look at work today and the purpose of flourishing at work. It's been said that you're going to spend 40 to 50% of your life at work. Somebody has said that you spend 150,000 hours a week. <laughs> I believe you're trying to do that, Daryl. <laughs> Uh, and, and so it's a big topic. It's a big topic in Scripture. And as we kind of pass through this First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, I just thought it'd be good to take a, an extra little bit of time here and talk about the purpose behind work. Now, this verse, 11 and 12, spend a little bit of time talking about a couple of purposes, but I'm actually going to unfold six purposes that God gives us in his word for work and how that applies to every individual, whether you're currently employed or retired, whether you're uh, disabled or abled, or wherever you're at on the spectrum, the purposes are to be uh, in, in mind as we get into and work through this uh, process. As I asked you to uh, share with one another what your favorite jobs were, um, kind of gets the juices going, and maybe you're at your favorite job right now, and you're like, life could just not get any better. It's the best it's ever been. Anybody in that category? <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> maybe uh, your first job you ever had was your best, and it's gone downhill from there. You know? <laughs> I can remember as an eight-year-old kid, we were in Scouts, and we did this fundraiser where we sold greeting cards as a fundraiser. And so I asked my parents, I said, well, when the fundraiser is over, can I still sell these cards? And like, there's a little thing to do. So I became, at eight years old, a door-to-door -door greeting card salesman. <laughs> And I got a dollar per box. I think it was $3 was the price of the box. And I got to keep a dollar of it. And I was like, I mean, this is the 60s. This is the 60s. A dollar was a lot for an eight-year-old kid. And I was highly motivated because my dad had been paying me 10 cents a row to weed these, these rows of garden. And so a buck a box... And pe this was back when people sent, do you remember this thing called the mail? Yeah. You know, and people sent letters and cards through the mail. It was, it was highly charged. There was no email at the time. And so I, I made a ton of money. I probably made more per hour <laughs> at that. And then I heard at nine years old, you could become a paper boy. You could become a paper boy for the News Tribune, the Tacoma News Tribune. And in that case, you could do dailies and dailies and Sundays. And depending on which one, you could earn a dollar per customer every month. You know? So I was the paper boy. One of my favorite things to do was instead of taking my bicycle with the saddlebags and all that went into it, I had 250 customers. So I was making 250 bucks a month at that time. But I'd love to take my Shetland pony and my Welch pony on the rides because then I always got extra tips when I went to collect, you know. Oh, we got an apple for the horse, but you know, buy him a, buy him a new bridle or something, you know. So it was kind of fun. I remember uh, working my way through Bible college as a um, security guard which was a really neat job because you could take half of the hour and study and you only had to make a round every half hour of an hour. So it's like they were paying me to study. Does anything get better than that? You know, and I remember the agricultural side of things where we were bucking hay and building semi loads of alfalfa. Oh, I loved that kind of, kind of work, kind of job. What about you? What's your memory? What's your, where are you at? And, and why have you worked or why are you working now? We're going to go through that uh, aspect. Um, the passage that we're jumping off from, the passage we're starting off from is 1 Thessalonians 4, 
11 and 12. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business. Sound good, Daryl? Mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. As we deal with this today, you're going to see how this incorporates some of the purposes that God has for our jobs, for our work. You know, when I was growing up, I kind of read the book of Genesis, and it, it seemed like it was saying that work was a curse, that work was a, a result of the fall. And I kind of misunderstood it in my early days. Um, and, and I remember uh, this was the uh, Ecclesiastes passage to think about. What do workers gain from all their toil? You know how... You know, what do we get out of it? Another day older and deeper in debt? Yeah, yeah. Um, but here's what Genesis says. Genesis, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Before the fall, before sin entered the world, God told Adam he was going to be a gardener. He was going to take care of the place. In fact, he even told him, you are going to build a taxonomy of names. You're going to name every bit of creation. Every creature that I created, you get to name. Now, would you like to take on that challenge? Do you know how many <laughs> varieties of animals there are? But that was Adam's job. Now, I'm kind of thinking that part of his reason for giving Adam that job was so that Adam would be impressed on his aloneness, that he did not have Eve yet. Because it says that every animal he named, he noticed. There's male and there's female. There's male and there's female. Probably the density of a human man was getting through to him that there's no female here. And probably when God put Adam to sleep and woke him up to introduce him to his bride, when he said, wow, this is now bone of my bone. This is now flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman for she was taken from the side of man. You know, maybe his excitement was partly based on his experience that God had given him as jo a job to do. Well, we learn a lot of things through our jobs, don't we? God can frame us, form us, and use us in fantastic ways through our jobs. You know, we're made in God's image. One of the things we need to note is God is a worker. Now, if anybody didn't have to work, it would be God, right? I mean, doesn't he have enough resources? Do you think he, 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 he's forced to? Here's what Jesus said about God. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work, and so am I. I too am working. What is it about God that keeps him working? By the way, have you ever thought about it when it comes to heaven? The pictures we sometimes get sitting around and playing a harp and just sitting, sipping lemonade. No, 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 no. If I've got it right... In heaven, we all get the opportunity to serve. It's much like paradise before the fall. We don't have the weeds. We don't have the, uh, the problems that we have today because of sin, but we still get the work. We still get the opportunity to serve. Now, some of you are puzzled about that. Think it through. Think it through uh, scripturally. Is God at work? Christ at work? Yes, maybe that's part of what he made us to be like himself. Um, now, in today's world, the government will actually pay you not to work. In fact, that's one of the problems we've had in the last couple of years, year or two here, is the government has been willing to pay people more than they used to make at work. 
So now if you go out here on the street and you just sign after sign after sign, begging for people to come and work. If we ever had a work necessity, a need out there, it's now, isn't it? Partly because our government has caused the uh, welfare to be more than the work. Well, what are you working for? I love asking people that. What are you working for? Well, I'm working so I can retire. Well, think that through for a minute. Are you spending the best and most productive and healthy years of your life to one day get to a place where you're not healthy and you're not young and you can quote unquote, enjoy life? I don't know, that doesn't seem, it does seem like we should put the enjoyment focus on the work life. If that's where 40 to 50% of our life is gonna be spent, why wait till the last few years of our lives? And you know the stat, right, where uh, people retire and the closeness of passing away is to retirement. I, I forget if it's a three-year average or something for men who retire and their life is over. So you go, whoa. Some of us say, don't ever retire, right? <laughs> Refire or get refired. <laughs> um, well, let's talk today about what the Bible says are the purposes, the reasons for work, and see if that doesn't extend to every person that's here. Now, the first one is easy. These are in ascending order, the more basic to the more altruistic, if you will, and, um, and, and, and scriptural. The first one is uh, kind of like the I-O, I-O, so off to work I go. It's called the necessity. The necessity purpose to support your life, or we would say lifestyle, right? There's a necessity to having an income, to meeting my needs, we would say. In fact, that'd be a translation, to support my life or meet my needs. The proverb says, the one who stays on the job has food on the table. It's just logical, right? The witless chase whims and fancies and get rich quick schemes and casinos. Uh-oh, now I'm meddling. You know, the witless, the crazy ones. But the one who stays on the job will be found with food on the table. Anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for those in their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There were people in Timothy's day, in Paul and Timothy's day, that said, hey, we can let other people support us. We can let other people support our family and kind of gave themselves over to welfare, to letting others do it. And he says, if you don't provide for your own family, there's a sense in which you're worse than someone who doesn't even know God someone who doesn't even follow God, someone who is an unbeliever, you've denied the faith. This is a, a, a real powerful general principle that family members need to, uh, need to note. Now, this doesn't say that if you are a family member, you have to support someone else because you might be wanting to levy some tough love in terms of your relatives and say, you need to get a job. <laughs> you need to go work. I'm done supporting you. A lot of dads have fun with that around the 18-year mark or 20-year mark or some 25-year mark. <laughs> Out on your own. Support yourself. And, and that's not against that. But when someone is not able to support themselves or when they're caring for the rest of the family, you need to support them. And that's what this is about provide for their relatives. When the pilgrims moved here, they had this expressed rule. If you didn't work during the day, you couldn't have the meal at the end of the day. You go, where'd they get that kind of idea? You know what's scriptural, right? 
For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who does not work or is unwilling to work shall not eat. Notice it doesn't say is not able to work. It's the unwilling that they're getting at, both in the pilgrim's day and in our day uh, today. If you don't work, if you just sit around, you forfeit the common meal. My dad used to say it this way, no worky, no eaty. <laughs> no worky, no eaty. Or like uh, one person said, no loaves for loafers. Mm, yeah. When you have enough to live on, some people say you just quit work. If you have enough to live on, in fact, this was the, uh, this was the survey that was done. If you suddenly inherited $6 million, I just picked a number. If you suddenly inherited $6 million, what would you do? Well, some people said, this is Anna Vaughn, pay off my debts. I mean, that's always in the high category. Pay off my car or even buy a new car, okay? But right up there in the top was I'd quit my job. I'd quit my job. And, and if you're only working for the necessity and, and to support your life, yeah, that would probably make sense. Now, we're going to talk about other reasons for working that have nothing to do with the necessity of supporting your life. But what about that? What would you do? Would you go to your boss and say, you can take this job and give it to someone who needs it more than I do? You like that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could say that. You could say that. Yeah, that's not the way the song goes. Huh? Yeah. But think about it for a minute. Six million bucks. You wouldn't need to work again in your life, but would you still work? You got to think about that. If your work has a higher purpose than just meeting your needs and supporting your life, then it doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank. You know, the opportunity is there to watch God use you in the workplace. That's what we're getting at today. There are purposes and reasons. Now, this affects us when we think about retirement. Retirement, which our culture is focused on. Work, work, work. And, and, and especially with the state focus and the government jobs, 80% of Thurston County is government jobs. And you ask a government employee, what are you working for? I'm working for my 20-year mark so I can retire. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only reason you're working, you've sold yourself short. You've missed part of God's purpose or purposes for that. So you ready for the second one? Ready for the second one? It has to do with identity. Living out the reason that God made you. The purpose is how God made you and to express your ability, your talent, who you are. Work becomes the place where you express who God's made you to be. You know, I'm thinking about the uh, casting they did for um, Matthew in The Chosen. You know, they chose an autistic, but very math-focused, highly intelligent individual. And uh, I was like, that's brilliant. As you read the book of Matthew, you go, it must have been someone like that. So clued in on details and, and genealogies and things that the rest of us could care less about. He was so into it. They cast that really, really well because Matthew's job connected to expressing his talents. Now, he took a break from that, didn't he? He took a break to follow Jesus. He left behind the booth, which had <laughs> corruption, dishonesty, betrayal, treason. I mean, all kinds of reasons to leave that unethical type of work behind. And he became a follower of Jesus and used his talents even in other ways. One of the 12, identity to express my talent. 
Each of you has been blessed with God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So what? Use your gift well. God made you and you only the way he made you. <laughs> there are no two yous. You know, God needs you to be the you that he made. Don't try to be somebody else, but let the spiritual and gifts that he's given you, even vocational gifts, be used to the maximum. What is it that God's wired you up to do and to be? Be that. Some of you are math whizzes. God can use that. Some of us are going, I'm so glad somebody can do that. Yeah. You know, our uh, volunteer uh, bookkeeper here at the, at the church family, I'm so glad she does what she does because I hate doing it. She makes these reports. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Some of you are good with words. Some of you are good with coordination and, and organization. Oh, the body of Christ and everybody around you needs you. Some of you are good with uh, empathizing with other people. I've been hanging around more and more the hospice workers. Oh, they've got such a gift, such an amazing talent, loving people at the end of their life. They need volunteers, by the way. But that's something that you would use your gift of empathy to do. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts, kind of the shape. We've often used that word for that, that alliteration. Spiritual gifts, heart or passion, abilities, personality, and experiences. You have unique shape. Everybody does. Let God use that. How do you decide if you're in the right spot for your identity? Number one, are you fruitful? Are you fruitful? Number two, are you fulfilled? Are you fulfilled in that? If your work is not leading to fruitfulness, and being fulfilled, you may want to keep praying that God puts you in a place where you fit even better, okay? Now, not to detract from meeting your needs, but to say, often you want that. You've heard someone say this before. When you find the right job, you'll never work a day in your life again. Okay, that's the idea here. Sometimes you have a whole lifetime of not fitting, but God loves to, to, to find the place where you'll fit the best. Don't worry about the income necessarily. Worry about the function and the place. Does it meet your identity goals? Meaning matters more than money. What you're getting out of it is far deeper than an income when there's respect, when there's self-respect, when there's a sense of joy. Jesus said it this way. He said, uh, at the beginning of his life, he said, I must be about my father's business. And then on the cross, the other bookend, from the first words he said, father's business. The last words he said, it is finished. And in between, just what Tom was saying, he accomplished his purpose. He stated his purpose to seek and to save the lost. And even on the cross, the, the, the thief on the cross, he was fulfilling his purpose. Oh, that God would call us to that kind of bookends in our lives, to know the business God's called us to, and to be able to say at the end of our life, I've accomplished what God called me to do. The um, scripture says about David, David accomplished what God had called him to do in his day. And then he slept with his fathers. Then he went home. Then he went to, he died. That should be the case for all of us. Do what God's called you to do and then get off the planet. As long as you're on the planet, God's got something for you to do. The reason that you're here, 
The reason that you're here on the planet is because God has a work for you to do. I don't care if you've retired. God's still got a work for you to do. I don't care if you're self-supported because you just got eight, $6 million. God wants to use you in unique ways that you alone are called to do. You got to figure those out. Now, the body of Christ is here to help you with that. We do a, a whole spiritual gift inventory, and even the gifts that God's given in the body of Christ are to be developed. You know? He wants you to develop so much. In fact, that's going to be our next one here. To develop your character. So identity, to use your talents, but <laughs> maturity to develop who God's making you out to be. See, God is far more interested in your character than he is your comfort. Well, I'm comfortable with this job. Well, that may not be the best measurement. God may have something even more developmental in mind for you. I like to think of it as, uh, as seeds. You know, God gives these... Um, Seeds and we plant them in the soil of our work. You know, it could be seeds for the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, the, the soil. But then something happens at work, <laughs> they get fertilized, right? You know, like that bumper sticker that says fertilizer happens, <laughs> you know? You end up with difficulties at work and what's it there for? To develop the fruit of the spirit in your life to develop you as a person. That's what trouble and challenges bring about in your life. And work can be often the place that God uses. That's why comfort is not the goal. Development of character is the goal. Sometimes the most challenging jobs, the most difficult jobs are the most developing jobs. They're gonna shape you and frame you like nothing else in your life. God can use that for you. Remember this, uh, what is there to show for all the hard work here on earth? What's to show for it? Character. What's to show for all the hard work? Development. Character. It's what you take to heaven with you when you die. You know, you don't take a lot of stuff with you when you die. But you know what you do take? You, your personality, your character, who you are and who you've become. That's why God's got you here. That's why he's got us here, to develop and grow in him. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest in very little will be dishonest in much. So if you've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will, who will trust you? No, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? One example of this in the scriptures is uh, powerful, the man Joseph. Remember Joseph? You know, he spent 40 years as a slave or a prisoner before God exalted him. You know, what was God doing during those 40 years? Carving him out, developing his personality, developing his heart, developing his character, and even what we mentioned last um, purpose, devout, developing his talent for both prophecy, dream interpretation, and administration. In fact, here's a verse from Psalms. Joseph remained a slave until his own words had come true. Remember, he spoke to his brothers and said, I'm going to lead over you. <laughs> till his own words had come true and the Lord had finished what? Testing him. Do you think God could use your work and my work as part of our testing, knocking off the rough edges of who we are? That's what he did for Joseph. Then the king of Egypt set Joseph free and put him in charge of everything he owned. Yeah, he was tested and tried in small 
doses. And then he just kept getting larger and larger until he was in charge of the entire country. And we would say the then known world. Yeah. Joseph, 40 years a slave, he built his character. So I see it this way. While you're working on your job, God is working on you. Jot that down. While you're working on your job, God is working on you. The question isn't, how much will I make? You know, when you go in for an interview to get a new job or a different job, well, what's the bottom line? How much am I going to make? How much per hour? How, what's my salary? Not a terrible question. What's a better question? And ask the Lord this. Lord, what do you want me, what do you want to do in me through this job? Not how much am I going to make, but what will I become? What will I become through this job? How is this job going to frame and make me like nothing else can? How's it going to work? God will take you and develop your character through this. Remember this uh, passage from Matthew 25. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to put you in charge over much. You've been um, to come and share in your master's happiness. Now notice this is an end of life kind of scenario. That's why I say we get to work in heaven. We get to go from a few things to many things. We go from a, 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 a small investment in us to a large investment in the kingdom itself. Well, let's take number four. Credibility, not maturity, but credibility. And this is where that verse we're talking about from 1 Thessalonians really fits in. This has to do with seeing what the outside world thinks of us. Credibility to witness my faith to tell others, and, and here it is, it's earning the right to be heard, okay? Not everybody's gonna listen to you, but when you are faithful, when you are a servant, when you are uh, honest, when you show up on time, when you don't lie, all of those things begin to form and frame the uh, opportunity that says, you've earned the right. You've earned the right to be heard. I mentioned this uh, a couple weeks back. People who are applying for religious exemptions, you know, they're applying for religious exemptions, and their coworkers, HR or their bosses, are coming to them and going, "I didn't know you were a believer. I didn't know you were a Christian." And the workers are going, "Yikes! I've worked here for this 12 years, and they don't even know I'm a Christian." Something's wrong with that picture, right? They should, by your behavior, have already labeled you and said, that person, they've got a different standard of ethics. They've got a different standard of work. They've got a different standard. They must be a believer. In some cases, it's believers not even recognizing other believers in their same workplace. It's like, something's wrong here. <laughs> but you want to have credibility, Work can be that place. Work can be that opportunity where God opens the door and says, you get to witness your faith. First by living it, that's what First uh, Thessalonians says, but then by verbalizing it because you've earned the right to be heard. To aspire to live quietly, what did we say this earlier? Um, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before what? What's that mean? It's unbelievers. As people who are not yet part of the kingdom, your opportunity is to spark kingdom conversation because of your behavior. That's what he's talking about. He says that they may, um, that outsiders will look at you and go, whoa, there's something I need to listen to here so that you may walk properly before outsiders and not be dependent on them, be dependent on no one. Here's what Corinthians 6 says. Our work as God's servants gets validated 
or not. It's validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our post, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, and bad times. So it develops your character, but even those hard times give an opportunity to show your place, to show your heart, to witness to your faith, how much you love God and what he has done for you. God expects us to validate our faith in the workplace. That's where it happens. And God will use that. What's Matthew 5 say? Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify the Lord, glorify your Father who is in heaven. They may see your good works. Where do they see those? They might see them in the community. They might see them as neighbors. They might see them in the church or around. A lot of times, the number one place they're going to see them is at work, is where you work. 40 to 50% of your time. God wants you to use that to let your light so shine before men. When was the last time someone at work asked you about your faith or your behavior? When was the last time somebody came up to you and said, I just noticed a difference about you? Maybe it's cheerfulness, maybe it's your um, thankfulness. What is it? And when was the last time somebody said, something's different about you? Could you tell me why? If people aren't doing that, it might be good for you to examine why. Now, I know, I know we're supposed to be sedate and, and arm's length from our faith and not declare who we are. Hey, God's given us a great opportunity. I mean, one of them is the religious exemption idea. <laughs> you know? But beyond that, God's given every one of us an opportunity to declare that as people ask us about our faith. Can you tell me? What is your faith? What do you believe? Where are you at? Let me just focus on this. A little longer passage, but oh, so powerful. This is what it's all about. Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do whether in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now he's gonna apply it several different ways in homes, fathers and kids and um, husbands and wives, but I wanna zero in on slaves or one version says bond servants. We would say the closest thing we have in our culture to that is employees. It's not slaves as in early American slavery. It was more that people attached themselves to an employer, someone that they would be a bond servant to. And they were free to go. It wasn't oppressive. The principles here, look at what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you, to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and what? Reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, same as he said about, whatever you do, same thing there. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So who's your boss? Yeah, no, no, no matter where you're working, if you're a believer, your boss is the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't put down your earthly boss because he's only an intermediary study. He's only an intermediary person. Who is it that you're serving? Are you working for a paycheck? Or are you working for the Lord? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Don't think that the paycheck you get is your reward. Oh, it's so much greater. It's so much bigger. It's so much richer than the dollars that get automatically deposited into your account. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Well, we could spend more time on that, but I want you to move on. Fifth one, charity. Do you think God could call some of us 
to work with the specific reason to give our money away, to help our partners in ministry, to be so tuned in to the work of God that we're working to give money away. That's the only reason someone has $6 million in the bank would keep working. We just have a blast giving it away. A pastor friend who came into a big chunk of money because he wrote a book that became a bestseller. Millions of dollars came in. It scared him to death. But he found a fun job of giving that money away. He uh, went to his church where he'd served a couple of decades and he gave the church back all the amount of his pay for the last 20 years. He said, that was so much fun. He says, so here, I've been working for you as a volunteer. (laughs) And he said, uh, the good thing about it is, you're not paying me, you can't fire me. No. (laughs) (laughs) But he worked and he's continued to work for the last 10 years, not because he needs the money. You know why? To be generous, to give it away, to help others out, to give to causes and ministries that he believes in. And what if God used you and your life for that reason? Some people are able to retire early, but they keep working because they want to give money away. They keep working to bless others. Notice this. Uh, Ephesians passage. He says, everyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you become a Christian, you're not dishonest in stealing anymore. In an employer-employee range, you're not coming in late and checking in, you know, stealing from your boss or your company. He says, steal no longer, but work. Underline the must. But you must Work, instead of stealing, work. Doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. See, the opposite of takers is givers. He's saying, as a believer, as a worker, you're not a taker, you're a giver. As you have that opportunity, pour into, uh, spend into, invest You know, you have the chance to spend your life, to waste your life, or to invest your life. And that's what he's getting at. (laughs) Share with those in need. Invest in people. Invest in, don't store it all up for yourself. So James says, you just do it to spend your money on selfish living. He says, you never get ahead doing that. He says, have something to share with those in need. I mentioned earlier, some people stop at nothing when it comes to generosity. I think it was Andrew Carnegie said, do your giving while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. You know, instead instead of waiting to the end of your, now he had a ton of money, even at his death, but his Joy was, I want to build library. I want to send it off. I want to see where it's going. I want to help people now. You know, what's the purpose of dying with a big bank account? You might just spoil your relatives. Mm-hmm. Spoil your kids. That's not good. So do your given while you're living. Deuteronomy says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce Wealth. By the way, wealth is not a bad thing. Sometimes we get this idea in our Christian circles that wealth, that God's against wealth. No, he's the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore with the ancestors. See, the Bible teaches not redistribution of wealth that our society is so stuck on right now. The Bible teaches creation of wealth. He wants us to help people create wealth, not just redirect or reassign or redistribute other people's wealth, forcing them 
to give to people. Here, we have the opportunity when it comes to charity, it's voluntary. It's not forced. It's not taxation. You don't become charitable through taxation. You become charitable by your heart being open, by your pocketbook being open, by giving of yourself and creating wealth. The Bible says God gives the ability. You have ability to make wealth? It's not yours. It's not yours. It's the Lord's. So ask him how you should spend your money. Ask him how much you should save. Ask him what you should do with your 401k. Put it back to him. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Proverbs 11. One more on this. In everything I did, I showed you that by the kind of hard work, we must help the weak. We must help the weak. Put that, underline that. We must help the weak. That's voluntary. That's not taxation. That's charity. That's giving. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. What did he say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Ready for the last one? Eternity. To build my God's kingdom. To build my God's kingdom. See, what we're thinking here is long term, not short term employment, long term kingdom building. That's why he says, with respect to outsiders, his goal is that they would not be outsiders any longer, that they would become insiders by your testimony, that they would be built into the kingdom of God because of your faith testimony. It's building God's kingdom. That should be your highest and greatest priority. Now, that's the plan God has for you. That's why I say these are in ascending order. Your basic needs being met all the way to building God's kingdom. And this should be on everyone's mind all the time, whether you're retired, whatever you're doing, however you're using and, and expending your life. Lead a quiet life. Work with your hands. Do what God's put in front of you and let his love be shown. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. What's the everything else? All the details of life, all the provision for your life and lifestyle. If you seek first his kingdom, everything else will be met in his, in his time. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so you should know how you should respond to each person. So are you spending your life? Are you wasting your life? Or are you investing your life? Is there something God's calling on you to tune up and focus your attention on? The Bible says there's going to be a day when you and I are going to stand before the throne of God. Now, there's kind of two judgments talked about, two thrones, so to speak. One is going to be your and my salvation. And there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. That's totally dependent on our trusting Jesus Christ. As we trust in him, it is a gift no one can deserve, no one can earn, no one can work for. We receive it. One of the thrones is going to be, are you saved or not? But there seems to be another picture that our works, our work, we would say, what we've done with our life is also going to be evaluated. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians chapter 3 says, it's going to be tested as if it were by fire. And if you build with hay and rubble and stone and stubble, he says, 
It's going to be burned up. You kind of go, what's he getting at? There are temporary things that don't make sense for us to focus on. But he said, there's going to be some permanence. There's going to be some things. And he talks about gold refined by fire. (laughs) You know, your life and my life focused in on things that are eternal. Things that are going to last. What's going to last? People and God. People and God. Love God and love people. Yeah, those are the eternal kingdom building things. That's what's going to be evaluated. Where are you at with that? Well, I made 60 grand a year. So that's not the measure. Well, I provided for my family. That's good. That's not the measure. Where are you at with the eternal kingdom building aspects? that God calls for from you and for me. There will be an audit (laughs) of years of my work. Oh, that we would stand the test and God would see the fruit of our labors, not in terms of dollars, but in terms of kingdom fiber, kingdom building, laying on the foundation that God's built for us. Where are you at? With that, is there something God's calling you to tune up and tune into? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us to uh, an amazing plan you have for every person, that we would be workers in your kingdom. We would be workers in heaven. We would be workers for heavenly reasons. Lord, would you use us every day? Would you use us in every way? Lead us this week, lead us this month, lead us this year into brand new avenues where our work will matter, no matter where we're at on the scale of working here on earth, that you would use our work for you. We pray this, Lord. If there's anybody here that needs to receive your gift of salvation, pray that they would just open up their hearts, pray a prayer of surrender, commitment and devotion to you. They would follow that through by talking to someone else. Lord, we pray for each other today. We pray that you would use this, even this uh, dark and in many ways terrible times to bring people to you. Use it for fruitfulness in your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.